0: Any Easter traditions out there? Growing up, did you have any Easter traditions? I'm going to take a little bit of a poll here. Anybody color eggs growing up as a child? Color eggs? Yeah, a lot of us. Okay. What about like an egg hunt? Easter egg hunt. Okay. About the same. Uh, Easter baskets. Anybody get Easter baskets growing up? Well, even more people. Yeah. Easter traditions. I want to share with you a few of the Easter traditions my family had growing up. <laughs> my mom and dad already know so yeah on Easter morning we really didn't deviate from these traditions every Easter you knew what to expect you knew what was gonna happen and it went according to clockwork we had to get up at the crack of dawn because we had to do our Easter traditions in time to also get ready for the Sunday service so here we were at the crack of dawn we stumble out of our bedrooms bedhead and all wearing our sweats Ready to do battle because it's Easter hunt time, Easter egg hunt time, excuse me. And so here I walk out, out with my bedroom with my brother and my sister, my older sister, my younger brother. I'm sizing them up. They're sizing me up. And uh, it's about time to do battle. My mom says, all right, on your marks, get set, go. And we all race to find the most Easter eggs. The plastic Easter eggs, you guys know what it is, with three jelly beads inside each one. And uh, we start racing for the, you guys remember that, right? Yeah, okay. We start racing for the plastic eggs, and, you know, every year it was about the same. Christy got about 13, I got about 12 of them, Trav got about three, and even those three she had to have help with, and uh, so that was fun. We started our morning off in a little bit of a battle there, and then we had to find one more thing. We had to find our Easter baskets. You guys remember the Easter baskets, right? Well, our Easter baskets, for some reason, were always hidden in the exact same place, so we knew where to look. (laughs) Behind the recliner, behind the big plant, Trav's is always right directly in front of him <laughs> so that he could find it. Sorry, Trav. Uh, but that was fun. You guys remember the Easter baskets, right? What did it always have in the Easter baskets? The fake grass, you know? It had to pretend that you're actually getting this out of the yard. So there was the fake grass along with the jelly beans hidden in the fake grass. And every single time you try to put a jelly bean in your mouth, you would get some fake grass in your mouth and you'd choke to death. <laughs> That was fun. And the Easter, the chocolate Easter bunny, of course. But that was just the beginning. The fun was just starting because every single Easter, I think back in the 80s or 90s, there was a law decreed that if you tried to wear an outfit to church that you have worn previously, you would have been arrested. <laughs> so you had to get a new outfit for Easter. Anybody get a new outfit for, t- for today? Yes, okay, there's a couple out there. Back in the day, it was a law. Had to wear a new Easter outfit, so Christy would always wear these big flowery ordeals. Trav and I would be crammed into these suits, about two sizes too small. Had to shoehorn our way into these things. And it always, for some reason, didn't have a real tie. You guys remember clip-on ties? The old, the old brass thing that juts into your jugular vein, that was awesome. So Trav and I would get into these suits and we'd be we'd be angry. That's just all the only way I could put it. We'd be crying, we'd be telling my mom I hate this thing, I can't breathe. I'm sweating profusely. When can we get out of this thing? But that was in time, perfectly in time, for family pictures. And where do you take family pictures on Easter? You take them outside because everything is budding and blooming and it's gorgeous. So my mom would line us all up like death row in our new outfits. And for some reason, she thought the best picture was for us to stare directly into the center of the sun. I don't know what it was, but every picture, if you go back and look at our Easter pictures, there we are. And she would always tell us, now you keep your eyes open. Grandma wants to see her eyes. Mom, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I hate this suit. Why are we doing this? But it was perfect, because right after that we went to church in good spirits. (laughs) We had to go to our church service, of course, and in our new outfits. And by the time we got home for church, we couldn't wait to get those outfits off. Those things came off as soon as we got back in the car. As soon as we got home, we got back into our sweats. We messed up our hair, and it was perfect. And, and then Mom would say, you got to get back into your outfit. Grandma wants to see you in your outfit. So you put the clip-on tie on, and that's enough. Get ready for dinner. And then you would go to dinner, and I need to pull the audience again. Every single dinner on Easter was always the same What was the main course? Ham. Ham. What is going on with Easter and ham? Can we deviate once from ham? I hate ham. I don't don't know if I hate ham because of Easter or if I I just don't like it, but every Easter we had to have ham. So Easter, I don't know if I really appreciated Easter like I do now, but there was another tradition that we did every single year, and this is a good one. We would go to church and we would hear about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a tradition we're going to continue to to carry on here at Wyoming Valley Church. In fact, I want to share a story with you today, okay? And the story is from the Word of God. And I want to share it in the format of a story because that's exactly what it was intended. If you have your Bibles, join me in John chapter 11. It's also going to be on the screen. John chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 to 44. So it is kind of a lengthy passage. But I do ask that you follow along here as we read what we're going to call the cure for death, an Easter carol. So John 11, verses 1 to 44, I'm just going to read you this story. It's a really amazing story. It says in verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had been already in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about the cure for death today. The cure for death. People are diverse, aren't they? We all have different backgrounds and cultures and experiences and perspectives that shape our thinking, but we all have at least two common denominators. Number one is we were all born, and I want you to take a look at the slides. Because a little over a week ago, we had our sixth child, Marcus, and there he is. I had to put a picture of Marcus up there, because why not? So there he is. There's our new little boy. And so that's common denominator number one, is we were all born. But we all have another common denominator. Number two is we will all die. And that's just a reality. We love life, but death is every single person's enemy on the earth. Death is like the big elephant in the room. We all know it's coming. We all dread it. It haunts us endlessly. And yet we try to act as if it's not real, if it's not there. I know this is a Christmas story, but if you remember in the story, The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, death was coming for a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. You guys remember that story? But Scrooge in this story was spared death through the warnings of three spirits. That story has become one of the most famous and beloved stories of all time. In fact, I would say it's probably my Favorite story of all time, because of what it means with the redemption of Scrooge and the avoidance, or better, his delay of death by listening to the warnings of the spirits. But unlike the Christmas carol, our story, or our carol today, that we just read, actually happened. It's not a tale. It's not a story written by somebody. It actually happened, and it was recorded. Jesus has a friend, and his name is Lazarus. But unlike Scrooge, Lazarus isn't going to get a vision. He's not going to be dreaming. Three spirits are not going to visit Lazarus. Lazarus is not going to be spared death through a message or a warning. Lazarus actually physically dies. Death is real, isn't it? It's real. Death has touched all of us to some degree. It steals our loved ones. It scares us in the dark it's reported every single day on the news we have graveyards and cemeteries reminding us of its of its existence excuse me we hear of wars and disasters and viruses and terrorists which kill countless people every year and every single day of our lives we inch closer and closer to death party killer isn't it but that's not the message today but even the very mention of death causes us to recoil in discomfort and fear doesn't it Now, it's true that people can be delayed death by going to a doctor, getting a proper diagnosis for something they're battling and getting the right medication. They can also be delayed by death by someone coming to you and telling you you're doing something harmful to your body and you should avoid that. We can be delayed death a lot of different ways and a lot of different methods, but no one has found a cure for death. Nobody. Making it the biggest darkest strongest bully to ever exist see the truth about death that we find in scripture is that death is a symptom it's a symptom of sin death was not a part of God's original plan for us he created mankind the same way he is eternally alive but according to the word of God we broke God's commandments We sinned. We fell short of God's standards. We rebelled from God. And that warrants physical and spiritual death. Because it says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And that's another reality. So it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that we are destined by our sin to hell. We are the ones who chose to rebel against God, our creator. And because of this, we have all died spiritually, every single one of us, And we all await physical death. And I have to set the stage there because we have to understand the gravity of our topic today. It's important. And because of this, death is now every single person's destiny forever, unless we find a savior. See, the world's solution to death, just on the screen there, the world's solution to this problem called death is simply to not think about death. Put it out of your minds, act like it's not there, act like it's not coming. And just have a great time on the earth. And by doing so, maybe you can suppress death. Maybe you don't have to be haunted by it. Maybe you don't have to think about it. Maybe you'll have to act like it's not actually coming for you. But they know that death is coming. It's going to steal from them everything they love. And they don't know what to do about it. So they're trying to put death out of their mind by pleasures and treasures of the earth. But unfortunately, that is a very horrible and hopeless way to live, isn't it? Because suppressing death doesn't help anybody. Because it is real. It has touched all of us. And death is coming. So suppressing the truth about death is not helpful to anybody. But thankfully today, that is not the message we have for you. Because there does exist a cure for death. And he's a person. On this Easter Sunday, we want to look at our enemy, death. We want to look at him today. Through the lens of life. We want to look at death through the lens of life, eternal life. We have a story here from John 11, verses 1 to 44, where this bully of ours, Death, rears his ugly head once again, trying to ruin yet another party. But on this occasion, Death is going to encounter his bully, the author and giver of life. And this life giver is undefeated in his battles with death. He has a weapon of warfare. This life giver has a weapon of warfare that death cannot withstand and cannot defeat. And that weapon is called resurrection. And it's a mighty weapon. It is a mighty weapon. The story we're about to study today, we're going to go in more in depth in this story. It's crucial for every single one of us because it speaks about the cure for death. I know we all have different ailments and things in our medical history that some of us will face and others will not, but every single person has to think and consider death because it comes for every single person. But this cure that we have for death is not like one of those bogus reports you get on a fraudulent website about instant wealth or instant fitness. The cure that we have today has been tested and proven, and it's 100% accurate. And this cure that we're going to speak about today is backed by the testimony of the one true God who is incapable of lying. So if he says there's a cure for death and he's the one true God, it's 100% accurate. So if you will believe today, you will see the truth and you will find and experience this cure for death forever. And that's what we want to have for all of us today. But it doesn't matter if you're smart, it doesn't matter if you're successful, rich, funny or important. Death is coming for all of us, and it's not a respecter of persons, is it? So let's look at the story today, because the story deals with the cure for death. And I'm going to do this story in a little bit of an interesting way. I'm going to do it in sort of a play format. I'm not going to be acting anything out, so we're not going to bring any uh, people up here in costumes or anything like that. But I'm simply going to put this story in the format of a play into six scenes, Because I think that's going to help us understand this this story. But by doing so, I don't want to act as if this story is just a story because it's an actual recorded event. It actually happened. But in every good play, you first have to look at the characters, right? There's a few characters in this play. And the first character we encounter is this person called Lazarus. He's a friend of Jesus. And Lazarus in this story is going to be the victim of death. And Lazarus is going to represent every single one of us. And the way he does that is by dying. Lazarus is going to be the victim of death, and he's going to represent each one of us. The second character we look at is death, or we're going to call him the bully. Death is going to represent death, which is coming for every single one of us. So that's character number two. Character number three and four, I guess you could say, are Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and we're going to peer into their minds a little bit. To get an understanding of what they think about life and death. The next character is the most important one. It's the Lord Jesus himself. And he's the life giver. He actually is going to be our cure for death today. So you need to really pay attention to what Jesus says. And what Jesus does. Because he is the cure. The next character are Jesus' disciples. We're going to call them the students. Because they're simply going to follow Jesus. And learn from Jesus about what it means to to have life, and to bring life about. And they're going to learn about its author, Jesus himself. So they're really important as well. And the last character we're going to have is simply the crowd, the audience. There's an audience here. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert or a sporting event, if you've ever sat close to the stage or close to the court. You get a really good picture and idea of the talent that's before you, don't you? Well, the crowd is going to be really close to see Jesus do something simply, amazing, and I wish I could have been one of those people. But we get to look today at this at this event, and we get to awe ourselves, and I hope you will. So go on this journey with me. We're going to look at six different scenes, okay? The curtain's about to open up, and we're going to look at scene number one. And the stage is set by this one thing, Lazarus is ill. Jesus' friend, Lazarus is very ill. If you saw Lazarus in this play, he's probably on his bed, unable to really function, unable to live his life. And that sets the stage. Lazarus is ill and Jesus loves Lazarus. So everything is going to come from that. His sisters, Mary and Martha, are going to send word to Jesus that Lazarus is ill because that's what you do, right? If someone is sick and in need of help, you make an appointment. You go and get a doctor who can help that person. But Mary and Martha had already seen countless miracles from Jesus. They know what he's capable of. And so by sending word to Jesus, they are going to be filled with hope. Saying, if we can send the word to Jesus and Lazarus is ill, he will, he will cure our, our brother and Lazarus will return to health. Because by now everyone had seen and heard of Jesus. Curing the lame, curing the blind, curing even lepers who were covered in head to toe and boils. So no doubt Mary and Martha are filled with hope, thinking if they can get the word to Jesus, Jesus will do something. Jesus will rush to Lazarus' side. He will find out what's wrong with Lazarus, and in an instant, he will cure Lazarus. Because I'm sure Mary and Martha are filled with hope at this moment, saying, okay, Lazarus, this is a bad situation, but we've seen what Jesus can do. We know that he loves Lazarus, so if we can get the word to Jesus in time, he will heal Lazarus, and Lazarus will come back to health. Don't we like happy endings and stories? We like that, right? We want a happy ending. If you ever watched a movie or read a book, and it's kind of grim and kind of dark, you're holding out hope that the end turns around, right? That by the end of the story, everything is rosy, and everything is a happy ending, and people ride off into the sunset. Because that's what we like in stories. So I think no doubt Mary and Martha are hoping for that for their brother. Saying, get the word to Jesus. Jesus is capable. Jesus loves him. He will cure him, and everything will be rosy. So that's scene number one. Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha want the word sent to Jesus, and they're going to get there there as fast as they can. So we come to scene number two. Jesus gets the word about Lazarus. So it actually is successful. They take the message to Jesus, and the right people get to Jesus in the right amount of time. But when Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, he almost seems stoic about it. Almost like he doesn't care. He says to the one who brought him the message, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay? So if you were experiencing this and you heard Jesus say this to the person who gave him the message and then you heard Jesus sort of not panic about this, you might think that, well, this is a good situation. This illness is not going to lead to death. Jesus isn't that concerned. He's not rushing to Lazarus' side. I think once again, people would have been filled with hope because Jesus stays too days longer where he is after he gets the message. And I think that's an interesting twist to the story. Going, why does he not rush to Lazarus' side? Lazarus is ill. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus saying, Lazarus, or Jesus, we need your help. But as soon as he hears the message, he's stoic. He says this doesn't lead to death. And he stays two days longer where he is. But if I was, if I was seeing, the, seeing this and witnessing this, I would have thought Well, this isn't a big deal then. Lazarus is simply going to recover. He said this doesn't lead to death. Jesus isn't concerned. He's not rushing his way to Lazarus. So once again, I think hope filled the air. I think the situation isn't that grim yet. The one who can cure him, who knows everything, who's capable of everything, is not worried. So we have a lot of hope here after scene number two. After scene number one and scene number two. And Jesus is going to do something here. After two full days go by, we come to scene number three. Jesus finally tells his disciples, who are always with Jesus, that it's time to go to Lazarus. After two full days, it's finally time and go see Lazarus. And Lazarus just happens to be in this town called Bethany, which is near a town called Judea, where very recently Jesus was there, and a lot of Jews were seeking to stone Jesus throw stones at him in order to kill him because of his message of the gospel. So when the disciples hear of where Lazarus is, they don't really think it's a great idea that Jesus go back there. It's like, Jesus, wait a minute, you're going to Judea? Don't you remember what happened there very recently? The Jews were picking up stones and trying to kill you. I don't really think it's a good idea. I don't understand why you would need to go to Lazarus if Lazarus isn't going to die from this. Why do you have to go at all? Why endanger your life? And this is where Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. And In fact, before that, I'm rushing ahead here. He actually says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And I have to imagine myself, one of these disciples, going, Wait a minute. You're going to Judea because Lazarus is sick, and you're going to go wake him up from his sleep. Do you really need to do that, Jesus? Do you really have to go to this dangerous city in order to wake a guy up? But Jesus is not referring to sleep as you and I think about it. Because he says later on, he finally clearly says to his disciples, Lazarus has died. Meaning that the sleep Jesus was referring to was death, not a nap. Lazarus has died. And now, I'm sure the disciples' minds are flip-flopping at this moment going, well, wait a minute. Okay, so he is dead? He, we, uh, he was really sick and he wasn't just sleeping, now he's actually dead? And so now they're kind of swinging the pendulum and the disciples are going, okay, well, I guess then death is inevitable. Lazarus died, Jesus is going head first into a really scary place that he might die. So one of them says, I guess we should just follow Jesus and die with him. You know, well, I guess death is inevitable. Death is going to win anyway, so why not just follow Jesus and die that way? And I don't know if that's such an illogical thought to have if you would have had the disciples' understanding at that moment. Because they don't know all the details. They're just seeing the scene play out as you and I are seeing the scene play out. But Jesus does not want them to have the message of death. It's on the contrary. He wants them confident about doing the will of God. So although that's a good thought to have, I can't really blame the disciples for having that. Jesus is not speaking about death. He's actually speaking about life. And Lazarus has died. So what is there to be done? Well, we're going to find here in scene four, a very interesting twist to this story happens. Scene number four opens up, and Jesus and his disciples are journeying on to the place where Lazarus is. (coughs) And by this time, a word is sent to Jesus that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus is not asleep. He's not badly off. He is dead, and he's been dead for four days. They've put him in the tomb. It's over. So Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, are being consoled by some Jews. But when they hear that Jesus is finally on his way to them, Martha immediately rushes to Jesus and basically says to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for coming. But it's too late. I appreciate the love and the concern you have for Lazarus, but there's nothing to be done. The ship has sailed. It's over. Lazarus actually died. We put him in the tomb. It's over. If you would have been here, Jesus, you could have some, done something about it. But now it's too late. It's over. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says this phrase to her, your brother will rise again. And so this has Martha thinking fast forward. He's speaking about the last day. He's speaking about the end when the resurrection comes. He is speaking that on the last day, Lazarus will rise from the grave and he will be brought to the kingdom of God. So Martha goes, oh, I get it, Jesus. Yeah, Lazarus will rise again on the last day, but that's not what I'm referring to. I am referring to the now. Lazarus died. We sent words so that you could cure him, but now he's dead and it's too late. But Jesus is not speaking, I don't think, primarily about the physical or primarily about the spiritual. I think he's talking about the entire purpose of life, saying, I am in charge of death. I am in charge of life. And you're about to see something here, that death does not make the rules. God makes the rules. And Martha, you need to understand that who's in charge here? Death is not in charge. Death bows to me. And it's interesting here that when death is lurking, we all kind of consider the end is near, isn't it? That when death comes, when death is knocking at our door, death is in charge. Death will let us know if we're going to live longer or not. Death will let us know if it's coming for us or not. But we have to remember here, God is in charge. God is in charge of life. God is in charge of death. And although Lazarus does die, there is not a period here. This is not the end of the story, because that would not be a very encouraging story to tell you today. Because there's two more scenes. And we come to scene number five. Jesus finally makes his way to the tomb Now he says, I want to go to the tomb. I want to go to Lazarus' body. I want to go see my friend. Okay, Jesus, he's in the tomb. We can take you to the tomb. So they do. They take Jesus to the tomb. And now we have sort of an awkward moment. Mary is now speaking to Jesus, and she's reiterating to Jesus what Martha already said. Jesus, if you would have come earlier, you could have saved my brother. But now he's dead, and there's nothing to do. Thanks for coming but you're not needed any longer. And at this point, we see that Jesus is saddened. It says he's deeply moved in the spirit. Jesus is sad. And I don't think he's sad because Lazarus died, because he wasn't sad when he heard Lazarus was ill. He wasn't sad when he learned that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days, but now it says Jesus wept. And the reason I think Jesus cries is because he's generally moved that they have to face such an inward struggle because they simply do not yet know what Jesus is capable of. And I don't think it's sort of a rebuke that he's giving them. I think he's actually deeply moved that they feel so alone and so threatened by death when they don't have to be. So Jesus cries. And then Jesus demands to see the body. I want to see Lazarus. That's why I came. I want to see the body. So they guide him to where Lazarus is. They guide him to the tomb. Um, This is where it sort of really relates to Easter very well because you guys can picture the scene here, right? There's a big tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. Does that sound familiar? And Jesus wants to see the body. So what do they have to do? They have to roll this huge stone out of the way. And by this time, Mary and Martha are going, Okay, Jesus, thanks. Again, it's really kind that you're here. Thank you for coming. But this is not a good idea. Lazarus has been dead for four days. So let's assume Lazarus died on a Monday. It's now Friday. And Jesus says, I want to see Lazarus. But Lazarus is in a tomb, Jesus. I mean, there's a stone rolled in front of the tomb. It's over. It's gone. But Jesus says, I want to see Lazarus. Roll the stone away. So now we have a very awkward scene. It's super awkward. I have to picture this as a very awkward scene if I'm anybody but Jesus. Because Lazarus isn't sick. He's not badly off. He's not near death. He's been in the tomb for four days. He is flatlined. So much so that his sisters are concerned about the odor. Don't roll the stone away, Jesus. We don't want to smell him. It's dead. It's over. The body stinks. What is the point of all this, Jesus? Why are you here now? He's in the grave. It's too late. What's the point of this? And here we have an awkward scene because Jesus says, Roll the stone away. Roll it away. So he does. They do. At Jesus' command, they roll the stone away. And Jesus says this phrase to his two friends Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see that God is in charge, not death. Death does not make the rules. God makes the rules. Roll the stone away. So they do, and we come to the last scene. This could be a very awkward scene if God doesn't show up. Because they roll the stone away at Jesus' request. They do. And Jesus lifts his eyes up to heaven, and he thanks God. He thanks him. He doesn't ask him. He thanks him. He knows who's in charge. He knows what he's capable of. He knows why Jesus was sent to Lazarus. So he lifts up his eyes and he thanks the Father. And everybody's seeing this. Everybody is witnessing this. And then he yells out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is about to be really awkward, isn't it? He says, Lazarus, come out to a man who has been dead for four days. What? What? Are you thinking, if you're one of the people witnessing this, what are you thinking going, no, 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 not a good idea. Jesus, your reputation is completely at stake here. I know you cure the blind and the lame and the lepers. I know that was really cool, really miraculous. But we're not talking about a sick person here, Jesus. We're talking about a guy who's been dead for four days. But Jesus knows God's reputation and his own reputation are perfectly at stake here. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And amazingly, Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Or maybe he waddled out of the tomb because Lazarus is dressed like a mummy. <laughs> he is wrapped in burial clothes. His hands and feet are bound. His face is wrapped in a cloth. And I again, try to picture the scene. You're there before the tomb. Jesus yells, Lazarus, come out, and out waddles this guy. And it doesn't really tell us the reaction of the people. But you can imagine, right? <laughs> you guys know what lockjaw is? <laughs> I'm guessing there was a lot of lockjaw that day because what was that scene like? What was that scene like to, to see and be, a, and be a partaker of? The man who was dead for four days came out of the tomb. And Jesus says simply, unbind him and let him go. Take his burial clothes off. Why would he wear these any longer? He's not dead anymore. He's alive. So they do. They take it off. And that happy ending that we all wanted is there, but it's not the way we probably expected it. If you've read enough of the gospel, enough of the word of God, you expect for Jesus to show up right at the last second. Most of like, like a lot of movies depict where there's something, if you've ever seen like one of those Mission Impossible movies, right? It's, why is it always at the last second? Why isn't it with like 12 seconds left? It's always with like one second left. So that's kind of what you imagine here. Jesus shows up right before Lazarus is about to die. He's like, wait a minute, Lazarus, you're not going to die today. But Lazarus does die. And four days go by. And then Jesus brings him out from death. And this is on purpose. Jesus could have rushed, Jesus could have come, Jesus could have delayed the death for Lazarus, but he didn't. And you know why he didn't? So that people would learn something God is in charge of everything God is in charge even of death and on this day on this moment at this scene God was glorified Jesus was glorified and every one of them every one of the people who were there learned something that day that even death bows to Jesus even death bows the knee to Jesus that's our scene today that's our story today we have four things we want to learn from what this story tells us Four things. Number one, it's Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. And this day is the day we specially set apart to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So not only can Jesus raise the dead, when Jesus is dead, he can raise himself. Isn't that wild? Isn't that a wild thing to know? That even when Jesus actually dies, because Jesus too actually physically dies, died. He rose himself from the grave three days later. And this story is a great parallel to the greatest story we've ever heard about Jesus raising from the dead. And we need to learn something from that because it proves to us that we have a cure for death. We have a cure for the biggest, strongest, scariest thing we can all encounter and that Jesus has the authority over who and when someone lives and someone dies. There are a lot of graves and tombs made famous for who is buried in them, aren't there, King Tut? A lot of people from Hollywood, there are a lot of famous graves and tombs because of who is buried there, but there's only one tomb in existence in the history of time that is famous for who's not buried in it. And that's the Lord Jesus himself. So death came for Lazarus and Jesus pulled him back to life. Life. Death came for Jesus and Jesus shattered the gates of death and rose again. So Jesus is in charge of everything. Jesus is in charge of everyone regardless if the odds are against him and regardless if anyone hates him. Jesus is in charge of everything. Including death. That's the first thing we need to learn. Number two, Jesus died so that he could taste death for all of us so that we don't have to. Jesus tasted death so that death doesn't have to taunt us any longer. If we believe in Jesus, death will not be our final chapter. Physical death is going to come to all of us, but those who believe in Jesus, Jesus changes death from the period, the last chapter, to a door. An entryway and that death is now an entryway into the kingdom of God because God has authority over death so by believing in Jesus death is not the end of the end of the story death is not the period death is not the final chapter those who believe in Jesus are replaced are given eternal life and that is what we celebrate here today that Jesus conquered death he conquered it back with the story of Lazarus, and he conquered it by raising himself from the grave so that every single person who believes in Jesus can be confident of this one thing I too will live. I too will live forever. If we reject Jesus, we have to pay for our own sins by dying forever. Life will never come to us again. If we reject Jesus, we are rejecting the only life giver. And if we reject him, we are on our own. and we will, we will die. We will face death for all of eternity. But if we believe in Jesus, death cannot taunt us any longer. Number three, if anyone desires to turn to Jesus today, because that is the point. We have some visitors here. I don't know the state of people's souls here in the room. But if anyone desires to turn to the life giver today and find salvation from their sins, eternal life is available. The door is open for you today. We have to simply turn away from our sins and put our faith in Christ. And as soon as we do that, and I mean, there was a moment here where Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus woke up from the dead. As soon as you turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus, you're alive. You're alive forevermore. And even physical death cannot taunt you, cannot mock you, cannot come to you and say, I own you, because you have eternal life in God. And our Lord Jesus, where is he today? Is he in the tomb? Is Jesus in the tomb today? Where is he? He's on his Throne, And if Jesus conquered death, and Jesus is alive today, and we follow him, do you get the pattern here? We too will be alive forevermore. So do you have a cure for death? Do you have the cure for death? Or is death coming to ruin everything that you love? If you believe in Jesus and turn to him, you will have the cure for death. It's that simple. A young child can have the cure for death. An old man or woman can have the cure for death. A smart person can get the cure for death. A dumb person can get the cure for death. A rich person, a poor person, an important person, a nobody can find the cure for death because it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and it belongs to us if we have faith in him. So do you? Do you need to turn to Jesus, to the life giver today? Number 4. If you already believe in and follow Jesus, and I know there are several in this room who do, then you have nothing to fear. Do you know that? Do you know this separates you from the rest of mankind who is terrified by death? Terrorized by death. If you believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, not even death can taunt you. Because death is now a door to life. Do you see how interesting that is? Do you see how ironic that is? That death comes to spoil everything and Christ changed it into a door? To an entryway? To the kingdom of God? So if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Who is man compared to God? What is death compared to eternal life? We should walk in the day as Jesus did, and we have no reason to stumble if we follow Jesus Christ. If we obey Christ's commandments, they are life-giving oxygen to our souls. And I want to tell you today, live boldly for Jesus. Live courageously for Jesus. Stand up to death today and live victoriously in life. Death doesn't have to bother you anymore. Death doesn't have to scare you any longer. That's what holds us back from things, right? The reason I don't is because it's too risky. The reason I don't follow Jesus, maybe the reason the disciples didn't want to go to Judea with Jesus is because of the Jews stoning him. What if they get stoned too and die? That's scary. But Jesus says, you have to remember, disciples, death doesn't make the rules, and the Jews don't make the rules, and anybody who hates me doesn't make the rules. I make the rules. And if you're a Christian, you are guarded by the power of God, and death cannot hurt you. So live victoriously today. To wrap this up, I want to reiterate that Jesus is in charge of everything and everyone. And nothing, even death, can thwart the plans of God. It tried, right? Lazarus, he's a godly guy. It would be nice to not have him on the planet any longer. Dead. Four days later, back alive. Jesus is in charge of everything. Death bowed to Jesus on that day. Do you bow to Jesus in your life? Don't suppress death. Don't act like it's not coming. Get the cure for death. Get the cure. If you need to turn to Jesus today, I told you you can come and speak with me. I would love to speak with you about how you can have the knowledge, the assurance, the understanding that you have the cure for death. But you can also bypass me and go directly to the life giver through prayer. And you can say to the life giver today, I need you. I've sinned. I've broken your commandments. I've warranted physical and eternal death, but I know you're the life giver. I know what you're capable of, Jesus. Heal me today. Give me life today. And 100% of the time, he has and he will. We have the cure for death, and this world needs it. Go out and send this message to the world. If you have this message, do like the old song says, don't hide it under a bushel. Set it on a stand. Put it on a mountain. Shout it from the rooftops. You have the cure for death. Don't you think the world needs that? Listen to these last few passages that we'll read here. We already read this one. Listen to what it says in John eleven twenty five to 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. As TGD read from 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message today. Thank you for the cure for death Thank you for your great love on the cross. That's why you came. We know that. We believe that. We listen to that today. You didn't come to condemn. You came to save. You came to heal. You came to restore. You came to pick up. You came to bring us out of death. And I pray that the souls here would listen to the message today and say, Hi, I need that cure. I need that cure. Death taunts me. Death whole held over my head today, and I don't want that any longer. Father, touch the souls here. Let them see Jesus in a way they've never seen him before, and let them believe in the life giver, because he is the cure for death. I thank you for this message today. Glorify yourself through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank everybody for being here today.